This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today is my friend, Donnie Vincent, biologist, hunter, explorer, filmmaker, creator, fascinating guy. Uh, I am a huge fan of everything that he does. Be sure to go to DonnieVincent.com, check out his films and uh, go to his Instagram, Donnie underscore Vincent, and uh, check out the amazing imagery and the stories that go along with each one of those photographs. So now without further ado, Donnie Vincent. How's it going, man? Oh, it's great to see you. (laughs) good to see you oh man where are you in my cabin nice in wisconsin that is Is awesome is that too bright oh man that is beautiful look at that place this is where we run um this is where we have sick manta no way i some reason i did not picture it being in a cabin i pictured it being like you know I, i i don't know more of an office for some reason yeah, this, this is kind of, so we were in an office downtown in, in Hudson. So it was about 45 minutes east of Minneapolis. Yeah. Right on the border of uh, Wisconsin. There's Wisconsin, then there's the St. Croix River, then, then Minnesota. And we're right on the St. Croix River in Wisconsin. So I was in an office, um, didn't really jive with the landlord. And, and we had some flooding problems. Went to another office of a building he owned where he would apologize and say, hey, I know you don't like A, let me move you to B. It's a lot bigger. and so we moved to B, still more flooding and stuff. So then um, a friend of mine found this place, little log cabin, 10 acres of wood, three ponds on the property, oh. just north of Hudson. So it's really expensive land. But for some reason, this guy, uh, it wasn't that expensive. So wow. I purchased it. I've been refurbishing it. I hired a young kid. It was painted dark brown on the outside. I h- hired a young kid last year and he hand sanded the entire cabin down to raw logs and it's um it's not there yet but i have all my bows like i literally have all my recurves i have literally in the other room i look like a fake navy seal i've got all my (laughs) guns all my hunting guns all my pretend war guns and then i've just got i mean i've got six sheep behind me and moose and it's just it's home for me it's yeah and i'm out the door and shooting literally grab my i just was shooting in the rain before talking to you so i grab my bow go outside and shoot that is all. That's what I should have been doing because now we moved into this place, which is about as far outside of Park City as you can get while still being in the school district. And we have yeah. some land. You can't see the neighbors. Um, and so I'm, I, we got some acreage here. So I'm going to put up these different targets. I'll put up a bow kind of course that I can just kind of walk or uh, just get mm-hmm. out there, get some fresh air, get some reps in before I get back inside and, and get to work. And uh, mm-hmm. I also need to set up, I'm going to set up at first because we're going to build a barn. But before we do that, I'm going to have this outdoor gym, like Rocky Four style. You know, outside, just uh, just a pull up bar. You know, one of the yep. Sornex. Uh, what do they call the Sornex one? That's just like a rack that you attach to the oh, side the, of a wall. Uh, the yeah, I have one. Something. I have one right oh, now nice. in the garage. Yeah, nice. So I'm gonna get yeah, that yeah. thing and just throw some kettlebells down there. What are those things they call? They don't, they don't call them kettlebells. They call, they're just like the, uh, a ball. You know, the, that has uh, the center mat. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I'm going to get a bunch of those and just put them outside and just until we actually have a real gym, I'll just get out there in the, in the weather and and get after it because it's been busy since I saw you last. I don't know if I've worked out. I don't think so. I think my workouts have, well, no, it's been, it's been, you know, ski and, and get out there with the kids and hike and, you know, been, been out hunting and everything, but I haven't been 
purposely going outside with the intent of doing a certain number of pull-ups, a certain number yeah. of, you know, whatever, a, you know, a certain kind of a workout or anything like that. It's just been doing, uh, yeah. and I need to get back into some training, some working yeah, yeah. out. <laughs> like, yeah. That's what fell hey, off the, you, the table. Did, did you train? I always was curious about this. When you went into the seals, did you, was there any preparation going in? Were you like, I know I have to do this many pull-ups, this many push-ups, this many. Yeah, there was a, a book out at the time. I think it was called The Commandos, uh, or maybe it was called, anyway, at the back, it had the uh, the test, like then, which is not a hard test. It's just a pull-up, sit-ups, um, a push-ups, a swim, and a run. I think those are the five the five things. Pretty basic, but when you put them all together with some stress, it can be a little little difficult, but that's just the, okay. just, just a, it's the bare ba- the bare basics, like your foundation yeah. in order to get through the the, the first door. Um, yeah. but so I knew that there was that, but then growing up, there was a couple of videos out there that showed the obstacle course and there was some, uh, some footage from Vietnam and that sort of a thing. And, uh, so I was essentially just looking at those, seeing these guys climb cargo nets, seeing them do rope climbs, seeing them get yelled at doing pushups and sit-ups. And so I just did those things. Um, yeah. it's kind of like CrossFit before CrossFit, you know, going out there, changing my yeah. grip on pull-ups, going under the basketball hoop, not the hoop part, but the kind that yeah. like attaches, you know, the, and like, I was like hundred pounds at the time. So I'm like, you know, pulling up, doing, doing things I saw Rocky yeah. do that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, so that was my, was my prep, but I think I was about okay. as prepped as you could be going in, in 1996. Uh, there was no programs, okay. obviously you couldn't low yep. sign up for a seal challenge program online. There was no mentorship yeah. or nothing like that. It was just, yeah. you know, run as far as you can, as fast as you can, that sort of a thing and do as many pull-ups yeah. as you can and climb some ropes and, uh, kind of put it all together and mash it up like a, like a, you know, CrossFit type functional deal before that yeah. was a, a thing. So, um, I, think so that's I prepped awesome. as much as I could, you know, Yeah. but I'm sure, are you still yeah. getting up at four in the morning and getting after it? Are you still doing that? Having your quiet time? I am. Yep. <laughs> Still yeah, alarm awesome. goes off and, and, uh, early and well, and sometimes like, and it's funny when I'm spending time with people that are in the same room as me or, or next door, you know, I'll get up and they'll say, did you, did you set an alarm? And I'll say, well, I got up before my alarm because my body's just, and even when I'm going to sleep in, I'm getting up to go pee at 4am. It seems like my body just knows, but yeah, training is the same for me, although I'm trying to ramp it up. I've been doing two days in the gym, pushing heavy weights, but I'm also, so this cabin has an open air garage beneath it right now. Cause I gutted it all, but I want to put in, um, actually want to put in like these glass according doors and I want to put in a full sore next gym nice. downstairs. I, I, uh, texted Bert and I said, I need some stuff and I need to buy some stuff. And he said, what's your area? And I said, I don't know. I'll get a tape measure and I'll get back to you. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. So, but yeah, I'm still, still, uh, for me, training is, you know, like I'm a, I'm a, um, you know, I'm a mental mess, Jack. And I have, I'm a person that I really suffer from lack of self-confidence. I have my whole life. So I need to exercise and I need to immerse myself in, in being outside. And those two things keep me, um, balanced and, and not only push weights, but I also need to fat tire bike and I need to rock and I need to, um, you know, do cold weather things. And these are, I just need to, I just need to do it. Oh, you know, I've heard you say that before about the confidence and I've seen you talk about it with your, with your bow, you know, in the past, uh, confidence there. And, you know, if you never mentioned it, 
I never would have guessed that. No one would have ever guessed that seeing what you do and how disciplined you are in your approach and how thoughtful you are in your writing and your films and everything. It's just an, incredible. I appreciate and, that. Oh, of course, of course. And, and, and uh, none of that would point to a lack of self-confidence. You know, it points to being thoughtful, which is something I appreciate about, uh, about you and, and all that, all that you do. But I never would have thought that you needed to stay disciplined because of a lack of self-confidence in, in anything. Cause you're so inspirational in all that you do for so many I people, me, me included, of course. Um, that, uh, but, but I need to take some lessons because when we first got here, man, we got out of the car in park city, my wife and I, and we were in the Smith's parking lot to the grocery store. And, uh, we're looking around and we're like, Oh my, people are in some pretty good shape up here in park city. I mean, every, <laughs> every other person's an Olympic athlete, you know, they're coming here for the lifestyle. This is pre pandemic. So they weren't fleeing from anything. They were mm -hmm. coming here because of that lifestyle. And a lot of people had, you know, hit their number in New York and California and kind of had to could take a breath and spend time with family. But as part of that, it was kind of a more holistic approach to life and being in shape yeah. was certainly a part of that. And it was yeah. noticeable. Uh, yeah. and, uh, when we first got here, I was working out with these guys. Awesome. They got Hobie Darling. who was the former CEO of Skull Candy and these guy, Eric Snyder. These guys were crushing it every morning at five. We would meet up and just do these insane workouts these guys would put together. And it was good for about a year. Then the first book yeah. came out and then I kept going through there. Even on book tour, I was getting after it. And then the second book came out and it was like, okay, now you're juggling two things and you're writing the third and all this. And so uh, in order to build the foundation is what I tell myself anyway, uh, a few things had mm -hmm. to get prioritized over others. And mm -hmm. the, uh, yeah, the fitness dropped down a couple notches, um, off, <laughs> essentially off, off the board. But it is, it is, I was chasing after our little guy yesterday on a motorcycle. He's got this yeah. little uh, 125 yeah. and he was like zipping down the road via the house. And I was just sprinting after him because I'm just not quite so sure that he can handle himself on it. Yeah. It's a bigger yeah. bike. And I, he came to a stop and then I came to a stop next to him and I was like, yeah, I got to get back after it. <laughs> like this is <laughs> the whole point of working out is to be in shape for life. And, uh, I, I'm having mm -hmm. a little, uh, you know, I'm feeling it chasing after our little guy, but you're up at four. And you're getting out, but it's not just the workouts. It's also a little like mental quiet time. You get to read, you get to do a yeah. few other things in there, not just the, just throw the weights around and, and shoot the bow, but you get to kind of take a breath before the rest of the world wakes up. Is that yep. right? That, yep. That's right. I like the quiet time. And, and, um, you know, I had a guy, you know, that little short video that I put together called who we are, the oh, so kind amazing. Of why we hunt. Oh yeah. Uh, appreciate that. Um, but I had this guy a few years ago, he wrote me, um, and he hasn't, he hasn't, I haven't heard from him in about a year and I hope it's not for the reason I'm about to tell you, but this guy wrote me, he'd write me about every week and he was, uh, this gentleman was suicidal oh. and he just said, Hey, I can I contemplate every day taking my life. And, um, and he said, and I'm not a hunter, but he said, when, when I get start going down that dark hallway, I watch who we are. And I watched it a couple of times and he said, it just kind of makes me feel human and it makes me want to get up and kind of move my body and get outside. And he said, that's kind of my equalizer. And then he's, he's like, I essentially kind of forget about it for 24 hours. And, and, um, and so I kind of, uh, do the same thing. Like I have to, if I'm getting down in the dumps, because I don't want to, I don't really ever talk about this, but I really don't want to participate in life at all. Like I love people. I love, like, I love that you're writing books. I love, I would love to travel and see you. Um, I, I love doing different things, but I don't want to participate in social media. I don't, I haven't, you know, like you said, some people hit their number and, and move to Salt Lake city. Like 
I want to hit my number, which I don't even know what it is, but I want to hit my number and I want to cancel my um, Instagram account. I want to cancel my Facebook account. I want to, I want to remove myself from life and I just want to fish and bow hunt and hike and mountain bike and explore. That's all I want to do. I don't need literally anything else. I don't need another fancy meal. I don't need another Broadway show. I don't, I know that's closed-minded, but I, I don't really need that stuff. So when I start kind of going down the road of everything catching up to me, you know, I need to get outside and go for a walk. And, and, um, I'm so easily entertained. Uh, have you, I'm hoping you've read Aldo Leopold. Oh yeah. You read yeah, Sam yeah. County Almanac. Yeah. Yeah. So his Sand County Almanac, I, I can't speak like he can. I, I, I'm not as in tune with nature as he was, but you know, yesterday I was walking in the pouring rain on a piece of woods, uh, just east of here. And I bumped a woodcock, a little, a mm-hmm. little woodland migratory bird. Yeah. And, um, that made my whole day, like awesome. seeing that woodcock and he jumped up and he buzzed out and they have, you know, they have a really long bill. They have really big eyes and, and a little body and big wings. And they, when they fly away, it's like a rough grouse. You can hear that bass, that pop, 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 and they just pop, 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 like a helicopter kind of. And I saw that and it just is almost like a reset button to me. Right. Or if I catch a fish and I get to hold a fish and see it or, and so oftentimes like this gentleman who would watch who we are, like if I start to get down in the dumps um, and actually something with one of your books, but I will read some Aldo Leopold or I'll listen to a book of yours. I have this um, fantasy, if you will, like this uh, malice fantasy or this gross uh, masochistic fantasy of, do you know when um, your character Reese and his friend is his name, Rafe? Yep. In the gentleman of Montana? Yep. That's Rafe. Is that right? Yeah. And those people that come, um, the assassins that come to kill everyone when they're in Montana. Yeah. Like I like, I sometimes devil's hand, if I can't sleep, I, I, if I can't sleep at night, I will pretend that a bunch of assassins are coming to the cabin to kill me and I'll start planning my program of where I'm going to go, what guns I'm going to grab, what am I going to do? And then I'll fall asleep. Like it'll kind of lull me into that. And so, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Well, maybe it's about being prepped for life or something like that. Maybe there's a, there's a something in there where you're thinking about being prepped for, for anything because the hunting and the protection of defense of life are so connected. And, you know, you talk about it in, um, in who we are, you talk about that connection to the past and hunting being in our DNA. And only recently have we had the luxury quote unquote, of not having to put food on the table for ourselves, going to the grocery store and just throwing into the cart without thought. Um, and you know, I, I, I think about that and I thought about that as I was writing Savage Sun. Um, I, was th- I was thinking about who we are and then I was thinking about how closely intertwined that is with protecting the gift of life and then protecting those who you are responsible for, kids, spouse, tribe, community, country, whatever it might be. And once again, that same sliver of the of human existence where we've been able to go to the grocery store, that's about the same time we've been able to call 911 or we've been able to trust our military to go do whatever they're doing out there to keep us safe and allow us to have these these luxuries that don't uh, that aren't connected to the land, the animals that inhabit it, or the weapons that we need to defend our lives and those of our loved ones. So those things are so connected together. So maybe in that, maybe there, there's that connection there. 
You're, you're, you're putting food on the table. You're so, uh, you know, I mean, when you think about these stuff all the time, it's only natural that that protection side of it and that defense of life, because they're so intertwined there. I mean, there's no, yeah, there's no disconnect. For sure. And the same for things sure. like I talk about in Savage Sun, the same tools that we used to use as humans, I mean, when I say we, yeah. uh, to put food on the table, well, you pick up that same implement to go defend the tribe, defend yeah, the family. Those were the same things. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's that's a part of it. You think about those things and then you're like, okay, I'm prepared. I can put food on the table here. All right, right. here we go. Now I can get some I sleep. Mean, it's, it's funny because when we have things go wrong, when we're in the wilderness, whether that be a bear attack or uh, flipping a raft or a loss of gear or something that breaks that is essential. It's funny how those trips become almost immediately a military type response. Whereas, you know, when you're hunting, that's one level. And even when you're approaching animals, there's a level of that. And obviously um, when you're hunting, somebody's not shooting at you or planning on shooting at you. But when you have something go wrong, flipping a raft, mauled by a bear, um, you, you start to kind of respond to things tactfully in that manner because it, now you're no longer really worrying about the hunt the reason you were there is over with or needs to be compartmentalized and stored away for a little bit until you address this immediate fear or issue right in front of you if somebody's having a heart attack or um i had a guy that i was fly fishing one time he had a seizure in the middle of a super dangerous river and just in the Talkeetna river in alaska and just started floating downstream and so you you have these things you you know you start to respond um, right away. But I, I, I can definitely appreciate how the two, um, are intertwined. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you have a new mission when something like that happens, like you're after yeah, new you know, your bear, a deer, a caribou, a moose, whatever it might be. And then something happens. Well, now you have a new mission to save that person's life or whatever it, whatever it might be. That's uh that's a shift, a contingency. Um, and when you're in the back country, as uh, obviously, as you know, um, there nine one one's a little ways off. Uh, you have yeah. to be self-reliant, um, and, yeah. uh, and deal with that, that problem, adapt to it, be prepared for it yeah. as much as you can be, um, ahead of time. So man, yeah. there, there are so many similarities there between going hunting and going into, into combat. And that's because they, I think I put this exact in the exact words in Savage, something they share the same father is what I, I think I wrote something yeah, along those same, lines, same father, yeah. um, back there, but whew, man, but uh, man, how did you get to this spot? I, you know, I, I've heard, of, uh, you know, you, you grew up, your dad had some books on the shelf, hunting books, yep. Um, yep. some of the classics I, I'm, I'm guessing. And you, at some mm-hmm. point you saw those books and then at some point you tipped them off the shelf and started reading them and always had this, and just this innate connection to the outdoors in your DNA. Like you're getting pulled there, whether those books were on the shelf or not, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just started you down this path. And now because of, well, because of social media and then these movies that you've made, and, and I gotta tell you, so we just got to this new, this new house and, uh, we're kind of starting to make it our own. And, um, one of the first, not the first things we did, but we have, we have larger televisions now. And okay. I'm so, <laughs> I am so excited to watch your films on these new TVs. Like sound comes right out on. of them, like not speaker, but it comes like out of the thing anyway. Um, yeah. but I'm yeah. so excited. Like that for when we were looking at them, I was like, because we've just had, we've kind of been moving around a little bit since I left the military and finally you're settling down in this, in this place. And, uh, it suits us so, so well, but, uh, but it was time for some new TVs and I'm so excited to watch your films on there. Cause I've only seen them on like, you know, something it's got like a computer, not a little computer yeah, screen, but like right. a bigger one, you know, whatever. And the sound yeah. never works. I'm trying to find a password or it's like, something's not working. Something's broken. Yeah, every right. time I try to watch something. Um, but, uh, but now it's like working. 
and I'm so excited to sit down and uh, watch them on this cool screen and and check them out really because cool. they're so beautiful and no one is doing that. what you're doing like no one has that that eye um and and that's part of being creative like my book's not like someone else's book because it's a that's creative right. endeavor um but the way that you're you that your eye for telling stories and then for writing that goes along with the visuals i mean there's nothing else like these out there and they're all amazing and it's not like like you started you know rivers divide or a couple of maybe smaller ones first um it's not like you started and then you like really improved over time and there's a huge difference like they're all amazing yeah they get better that. and the you know, cameras get better and you know things like that but like the storytelling and the visuals uh are all so good you know like if you showed me all of them i couldn't tell you which one was you know 2014 or 15 or 16 or 20 um you know because they're all so so amazing but what was that path that that got you there and when did you start thinking about, oh, I'm going to tell these stories. I'm not just going to live these adventures. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to actually tell them and do it my way, which also happens to just be, you know, incredibly and so enthralling. Like how did, how was that path? So it's, it's basically exactly what you, you kind of, uh, alluded to, but my dad had, my dad, he hunted a little tiny bit, but he was not a hunter, but I just thought, even though my friends really didn't have this, but I thought a house had a gun case in it. That when I was growing up, I remember thinking back, there was nothing strange about my dad. He had a gun, he had a oak gun case. I have it now. And, um, and there were six or seven essential guns in it, right? A semi-automatic 12 gauge, a single shot, 12 gauge, a bolt action, 243, um, you know, and a, a, a 22 and he just kind of had these things. And I remember in his bottom drawer, he had, um, his service weapon, he had a, uh, 45 caliber, and then he had some hunting knives and he just had these things. And occasionally he would take a gun down and clean it. And occasionally he would take a knife out and clean it or his 45. And I just saw these things. And it just, to me, it made perfect sense that this is, you know, kind of what, this is what a man owns this is what's in the home. I had this heritage. I grew up in Connecticut. So I had this idea and I remember this, I, I didn't realize this until I was older, but I had this idea of almost colonial times, right? Having a farm, um, wild turkeys being harvested. You know, you kind of see these, um, oil paintings of both a pilgrim and a native American, both walking back to the table with a wild turkey over their shoulder and muskets in their hands. And, um, you know, in some of their, um, gatherings. And so I kind of had this idea that this is who people were. And my dad had, I don't even really, I need to still ask him this, but I know my grandmother in Connecticut, my dad's mom, her and, and, um, my grandfather bought my father an outdoor life book subscription. And so once a month or once every two months, he'd get an actual hardcovered book in the mail. And so he had all these outdoor life books. And I didn't realize this again until I was older. And I have his book collection out here at the cabin. Wow. But all these books had outdoor life on it in the same logo as the magazine today. So all of these things. So I started really paging through them. But I would just go into these books for their photos. And the, some of them are on hunting. Some of them are on fishing. There's wilderness survival. There's wilderness cooking. There is trapping. There is um, tracking. There is uh, just wildlife in general. And, and there's books on endangered species. There's one called vanishing wildlife and there's 
one called Vanishing Wildlands. And these are books that came out in the 60s and 70s where people were discussing, hey, we're starting to see some animals that we used to see in great numbers and now in great decline. Of course, we always had the passenger pigeon as a as a mm-hmm. indication. We had the American bison as an indication. And um, so I would just page through all of these books, Jack, and I'd see, you know, there'd be paintings of the bears fishing for salmon. And, and I just would see all of these things, all of these images. And it was where my mind wanted to be anyway, but these images really inspired me. And then there was one book, it was a big book from uh, Jack O'Connor called The, Out- the uh, Wildlife of North America or North American Wildlife, something mm-hmm. like that. And it went over all the major categories of North American wildlife, right? Went over mountain goats and doll sheep and desert bighorn sheep and um, the Alaska Yukon moose and Canadian moose and grizzly bears. And, and at the beginning of each chapter, there was a painting of that animal, sometimes in a hunting situation, like you'd see sheep standing on a mountain and then you'd see, you know, it, way up at the top of the mountain, you'd see little heads poking over mm-hmm. with a rifle, right? You oh, could yeah. see that. And, um, and that stuff, again, it just, there, there weren't hunters and non-hunters. It was just that in my mind, everyone was a hunter. Everyone was a fisherman. This is what people did. And, um, it was very inspiring. And then I would spend my time in the woods and I'd see frogs and snakes. I remember there's a little brook near my house and they had, um, there's, I didn't learn this until I was older, but they had American water snakes in that, in that little brook. And so these Mm. big, big water snakes and so they're really cool to see and and um because it was in connecticut i could see streams where lampreys would come up to spawn and and white suckers would come up to spawn so even though it was connecticut and not exactly wild i could find really these little niche wild places to explore as a little boy and it just made total sense to me and and um long answer long this is just the way i am but I ended up going to college. I, I didn't have a very successful high school career. Um, got a little bit of trouble in high school. Um, just not trouble in the sense of trouble, but I had some issues with bullies, bullying other people. And I would, I kind of wanted to stick up for the other people and realize that no matter what the reason, you can't take matters into your own hands that at some level you're going to get in mm. trouble anyway. And so unsuccessful in high school, went to college, uh, took a bunch of college courses, applied um, at the University of Minnesota to go to their College of Natural Resources. The lady in admission very kindly laughed at me and said, like, we're a top-rated school for this. There's no way in hell we're letting you in. And then um, she kind of gave me, gave me a list of requirements. She said, if you go do this and come back to me, I'll let you in. And so I went and did that, came back. And so I was always trying to surround myself with wildlife to do work to do research or whatever. And then um, I don't even really know how it came about or what the catalyst was, but um, I was asked to do some modeling um, for different gun companies. And, and, uh, and then I did a magazine shoot with John Hafner of um, he's a photographer out of, he might even be out of Utah now or out of Montana. Is that who we met at the uh, hockey? Was it the hockey game at shot show? Where did we go at SHOT Show that time? It was a hockey game at... Um, it was in it Vegas. It was a hockey game. In Vegas. And there was a yeah. photographer there with us. Yeah, that was Lee Chose. Okay. That was Lee yeah. Chose that you met. White-haired guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really cool dude. Yeah. So so he's the first one to ask me to model. He approached me in an airport and he said, hey, I, I'm doing this whole piece on Frankie. 
the Spinelli owned company, would you come and model for me? And I said, get the hell out of here. And he's like, no, I'm serious. So I'm said, and he said, what's your day rate? And I said, I don't have one. <laughs> I've never modeled in my life. And so I just started kind of doing these things. And, um, I got to stop you right there and, though. Did, did you, yeah. did, was he aware of who you were or is it like the story of the model in the mall that you hear about in the eighties? Nope. They're like, Hey, <laughs> I was already filming. And I was, in fact, that was the first project I ever filmed for hunting, essentially. William Altman, who's our director of photography still, mm. he and I had went to Tolk, Alaska, because I drew an archery. I drew a doll sheep tag, and I used a bow to go up there. And, and I had just arrowed a really big doll sheep. In fact, it's right there. Wow. Um, and um, Amazing. And, uh, and Lee heard through the grapevine that uh, I arrowed this guy. Jeez. Um, and so Lee had heard through the grapevine that I was up there through a mutual friend of ours who's a photographer. And he said, yeah, he messaged him and said, are you in Alaska? He said, yeah, I'm up here shooting photos and fly fishing. He said, yeah, Donnie's up there right now. He just killed a big sheep. And, and then Lee said, I think I'm sitting right next to him getting ready to fly back to Minneapolis. So came over. I actually introduced myself to him, but he knew who I was. And, and then he just said, Hey, would you ever model? And, and, um, yeah, so it's kind of a series of, and then I and then I worked for Sitka. I was a Sitka athlete for a few years, and and um, was shooting photos with those guys. And um, the more work I had, they wanted to put me on a catalog or in a magazine. And then in doing that stuff, people would just ask me more questions about who are you, what do you do, mm. and the more opportunity there was for storytelling, then the more interest there was to continue on. And then I ended up meeting the crew that I have now in 2012, 2011. Um, they were working for another company and I met these two gentlemen. One was a photographer, one was an editor, director, editor. And, uh, and I just said, Hey, I'm thinking about starting my own production company. I have ideas of kind of where I want to see film to go. Um, and these guys were wildly talented. And I said, would you guys want it? And they said, yeah. And so it's been the three of us since 2011. That's amazing. And you do stuff that is not hunting related as well with that company too. Did you, did you do some things to pay the bills that, yeah. yeah. Yep. I was, in fact, I was just filming with a bunch of, uh, Delta force guys in green berets last weekend in, uh, for true velocity in Texas. Nice. I got to get down so, there and see those guys, man. Oh, it's sick, man. It oh. is the, the military stuff that those guys are fielding is, I mean, obviously I've never been in the military. I shouldn't say obvious, but I've never been in the military. Um, but the stuff that they're, inventing and creating is, um, I, I will be dumbfounded if it doesn't take over the world, quite honestly. And, um, yeah, the, and the news we're, we're getting is, is just incredible from the military. Like they're, you know, they're sending all their stuff off for testing and it's all coming back with, I don't know what the standards are, but it's basically there's meeting and then above standard, if you will. And, and all of their ammunition and guns are coming back as above standards. And so, um, yeah, you got to see it. It's, I got to get down there. Yeah, you connected us, and they we talked, and things have just been so busy. I haven't had a chance to get. Down. I think you connected us right around COVID time frame, right after. Yeah. COVID. Anyway, something like that. But um, but uh, got to get down there and see those guys. And they did something that awesome, awesome box. And and I, I haven't had a chance to shoot the stuff yet, but uh, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. it. Looks it looks amazing. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, do, we do yeah. we do we do lots of different stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you're doing all that um, sort of thing, but. Um, uh, but go back to that, uh, the college thing. So did you, did you meet, I forget, did you meet the requirements that she laid out for you and then eventually get in and study biology? And then is yep. that when you go to Alaska for the first time or how does that all work? 
kind of. So um, out of high school, in high school, I was always in, um, so I'll tell you, I was always in remedial reading. I was always in remedial writing. I was always in remedial math, literally basic stuff all the way through. And then my, um, I'm not proud of this, but in my senior year, um, I came upon a, a, a gentleman picking on a uh, kid and I got in a pretty brutal fight with this other kid and I got in a lot of trouble. And uh, I ended up having a lot of my senior year, I had in-school suspension. So I would arrive at the school, I'd have to go sit in this little tiny room, do all my homework, and then I even was held after school every day and then they would let me out. Wow. Just the way my life planned out. Mm. Um, and at the time, I was a pretty angry guy. My parents, I, when we moved from, this is pretty revealing, but when we moved from Connecticut to Minnesota, my parents really struggled. And so I got a job uh, as a stock boy at a grocery store and then at a boat company. And I would basically hand my check over to my parents uh, because they couldn't make their mortgage. And so I just give all my money to my parents and just to help them kind of get through this time. So going to school and going through all this stuff, I felt like, you know, a bit like a wounded individual. And so I, I'm not saying I was looking for a fight, but I certainly went through life, uh, angry. And, Mm -hmm. um, but when I, when I was positioned to have all of that in school suspension, I finally was getting my homework done and I was finally understanding my studies and I was finally starting to put A and B together. And then all of a sudden my grades started to go up and some of the teachers, started thinking like, Hey, you know, if you applied yourself this whole time, like you probably could have went to college. And so I, you know, I kind of thinking crap. And so I ended up applying to a two-year school, um, and getting in because they let every, if you have a pulse, like you're getting in. I mean, if you have a checkbook and a, and a heartbeat, you're, you're accepted. So I got in there, took classes. Then I went to the U and applied and she said, hey, like, basically, she's like, you have to take all of your high school stuff. You have to take elementary algebra, intermediate algebra, um, college algebra, pre-calc one, pre-calc two, geometry, trigonometry, a second language. She's like, if you take all of that, and this kind of leads to where I, how I started my career. And she said, and you take freshman English, I'll let you in. And, uh, and then you can start your program. And in my, my freshman English class, I wish I knew my professor but we were tasked with writing a story, a non-fictional story, um, or I'm sorry, a fictional story and a non-fictional story. And when I wrote my fictional story, I handed it into her as kind of a, uh, a uh, she, she had to basically kind of sign off on the direction of your story, mm-hmm. kind of a preliminary approach. And so she read my story and she handed it back to me and, and on it, she was like, this is terrible. Like I, this is a horrible story. And so I thought, I, I went and sat down and I was like, okay, give me some insight. And she said, Donnie, you're telling me, you're telling me everything that you, everywhere you want me to go, you're telling me to go there. And everything you want me to see, you're telling me exactly what I'm looking at. She said, I don't want you to tell me where I'm going or what I'm seeing. I want you to describe what I'm looking at. I want you to give me, evoke some emotion for me, bring me to this place and let me decipher the information myself. Let me paint my own picture. And so and she's like, instead of telling me that somebody went and got in a car, describe the car to me. Instead of 
you know, if you're going to pick up a girl to bring her to the movies, what is, what type of girl, you know, what kind of blue jeans is she wearing? What, what's her body style? How did she get in the car? Did she sit down with kind of a thump or did she get in gracefully? And so I started to realize that instead of writing, wasn't about a linear mathematical equation. Writing was about painting a picture Mm -hmm. and evoking emotion, whether that be comedy or fear or things that you had experienced yourself or that you could draw from others' experiences and kind of paint this picture to bring your reader to confuse them that they've left the real world and they're now in your story. And so as soon as she told me that, I wrote another story. She gave me an A+, which I'd basically never gotten in my life. And, um, other than with wildlife classes, that stuff was really good for me. But, um, after that I was off to the races and, and then, so she kind of in that single singular lesson kind of taught me how to write. And, um, and she also told me, which I also love, she's like, I don't care about your grammar. I don't care about your spelling. Tell me a story. And, um, and I still write that way, uh, kind of today. And she indicated to me, and maybe you'll have a different term for this, but she said, Donnie, when there's writers, there are bulldozers and bricklayers. And she said, you're right now a bricklayer. And she said, you need to become a bulldozer. And a bricklayer is somebody that won't write a secondary sentence until they feel their first sentence is perfect. And then, and so forth and so on. And so it's extremely excruciating. Rarely is the first sentence ever good enough. And they end up staring at a cursor for a stupid amount of time. She said, a bulldozer will literally just throw shit at a page and Sometimes it comes easy. Sometimes it comes hard. But we, even when it comes hard, they'll write crap until the crap starts to polish itself up into what it is. And, and you can get a lot of material fast and then you can start to shape that material because your mind is far more developed and intrinsic and creative and um, complicated than we give it uh, due process, right? Yeah. So things are coming out of there that you might not even realize that when you sit there and go, Okay, let me think about this. As soon as you say, hmm, let me think about this, you basically just close the door. Yeah, yeah. But if you're washing dishes or pushing weights or chasing after your kid on a 125, ideas come into your head because your subconscious is allowed to float and yeah. hunt. Yeah, I love that. Right? Allowed to hunt. I'm going to remember that. I like that. Subconscious allowed to hunt. I like that. Yeah. That's, I haven't yeah. thought about it in those terms before. Um, yeah, no, that's me. I like, I haven't heard it in those terms, the bulldozer brick layer, brick layer before, but I like that. Um, and I, well, Hemingway had a quote about, about first drafts, but, uh, I mean, and also you have to get it out there, but if I, if it's not at a place where like, I know I'm going to go back eventually, but if it's not, if I'm moving on to, let's say chapter eight, and I'm still thinking about chat, like chapter seven's nagging at me. I know it's not quite where it needs to be. Like there's a point where I can be like, okay, it's, it's, it's good for now. I'll go back later. But if it's not, but there's also a point where it's like, it's not yet there where I know I'm going to come back to it. I need to tweak a couple of things first and I'll go back. Um, and that's, yep. so that slows me down a little bit, but, uh, that's yep. just how I've done it so far. And it seems to be working. So I'm going to continue with this uh, <laughs> until I could take a breath and really analyze, uh, what's going on right now. There's just not time for that. Cause it's a full on, full on sprint all the time. Yep. But, uh, but then, so, so you make your way into wildlife, you're in wildlife biology specific program. That's right. Yeah. And, and so you're loving that so you're I, on the right path. And then is yep. this where you start, uh, heading up North or how did, how did you get yet that first, uh, that I, first trip? I've been, I've been going up North, um, this whole time. So even as a freshman in college, uh, literally my, my lights were shut off because I hadn't paid my electrical bill. My water was shut off. So I realized 
okay, so my lights are shut off, but I can pack by candlelight. That's what I did. I literally packed for my first Alaska trip by candlelight. My water was shut off. And so I realized that even when they shut your water off, it still comes out of your faucet as a trickle. So it just takes you way longer to shower, but you can still actually get a little (laughs) bit of water coming out. Good tip. And then um, I just was kind of doing like I wanted to go. That's what I wanted to do. It wasn't, I hear guys sometimes, and I don't want to uninspire anyone, but I have people that will write me letters and they say, hey, how do I get to do what you do? Hunting is my passion. It's, you know, um, it's all I live for. Well, yeah, it sounds like I'm saying that about myself. But that's not what I'm saying. It's not that hunting is my passion. It's all I live for. Hunting is who I am. That's just that for me, it's breathing, it's living, it's eating food. I, I have to be hunting, thinking about hunting, planning hunting or going hunting, or um, I'm going to cease to function. It's just not going to work for me. And so even when I was in college, I wanted to get up to Alaska and hunt caribou. Now I had to I was robbing Peter to pay Paul both in my studies and financially to, you know, to make the trip work. But so I started doing those things. Then when I got out of school, um, I started doing biology jobs and I ended up getting a job um, for the U S fish and wildlife service in Alaska studying salmon. So now I'm getting paid. I'm sleeping in a tent for five months and I'm, able to fly fish every night and I'm seeing grizzly bears and moose and I'm working with Eskimos and I'm like, okay, this is pretty freaking rad. And then, um, I, I came out of that and started working some other biology jobs. And then, um, I went on a couple of hunting trips and inadvertently there were, you know, there'd be like a backpack company on this hunting trip where there'd be like, I was bow hunting in Illinois for whitetails. And I'd meet, you know, an outdoor writer yeah. and they, you know, they'd say, Hey, what's your name? You know, and what do you do? And I, Oh, I'm a wildlife biologist. Oh, where do you work? And last, Oh, and they start asking you questions. And then through that, I started just getting like more and more people. So, and, and Jack, this whole time when I would go to Alaska, I would film my hunts with a little handy cam. Mm. So then all of a sudden I run into a couple of guys that have a TV show and guys that have traditional hunting type TV shows, they're always struggling to find content. Mm. So they'd say, Hey, you film these hunts that you've done before. Can we have the footage and put it on TV? And I was like, sure. So I'd give it to them and they'd put it on TV. And so I just kind of started to build a name for myself. And then I did that photo shoot with John Hafner, um, in the Yukon territories for Peterson's hunting. It was a cover story for Peterson's hunting magazine. And after I did that, Sitka put me on a catalog cover and then they introduced me to Jeff Simpson, who was a gentleman that, um, he had his own production company down in Missouri. And, um, and so I, uh, Sitka put me in touch with him and said, Hey, Donnie wants to film Jeff, you're filming. I think this would be a really good kind of blending. Um, and then I won't go into details, but our, perceived partnership did not work at all like apples and oranges black and white yeah no absolutely (laughs) different (laughs) morals different ethics different philosophies like nope right um and so the two gentlemen that work with me now william altman and kyle nicolite they both worked for him Mm. and then we had done almost a year of projects and it was march it was march um and we were in Patagonia 
we were uh, just south of um, uh, Bar- Bariloche. Yeah, yeah, Bariloche. Right? I just got Bariloche? back from there a week ago. Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Is so that your we fishing were, trip? We were, Is that the Browns? You're going for the Browns down there? Is that a different yeah, trip? Yeah, in the okay. Rio Lame. Nice. On the Rio awesome. Lame, yeah. So we were uh, just south of Bariloche. We were hunting red stag and then fly fishing. Yeah, that's the same um, thing. <laughs> and I, I just said I couldn't. I was sitting next to Kyle Micklight, who's now, um, uh, he's, you know, he's been our director and producer since the beginning, but I was sitting next to him and, and I just said, Hey man, like I can't take the anxiety anymore of being in this group. I'm going to go start my own thing. And, um, and he looked at me and he said, yep, I'm coming with you. Excellent. And I'd already talked to William about it. And he said, yep, I'm coming with you. And, um, and that was that. And, and honestly, this sounds so egotistical, but a lot of this came from Kyle who graduated film school. And he said, Hey, you're, you're a really good storyteller and you're really good on camera. I think you're a lot better than you think you are. Mm. And, um, cause I hate seeing myself on camera. I can't stand it. And I can't stand hearing my voice. I just can't handle it. And that's so, so weird for people uh, to hear because, you know, no one else would ever say that. And it, it's fairly common, I think, for people not to like their own voice. I think it's a very common, I think common so. thing. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're, yeah, you're, yeah, your voice, you on camera, the stories, like all of it comes together in a way that is so unique. Like you can just throw up a, just a photo and most of us, you know, in this, these, communities or interested in things we are, we'll be able to be like, Oh, that's, that's a Donnie Vincent film right there. Like the, you can just tell, right. You know, it's really cool. Right. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate it. The guys, I mean, it's really, the guys are so wildly talented that I work with, you know, they, they, they literally carry me along. My, my contribution to the group is that, um, being around wildlife evokes a lot of emotion and sentences for me and feelings and, a, a connectivity that I feel with predator and prey and, and just the environment ecosystem of itself that I'm able to maybe articulate that to the camera and, and some of the things that I've done. And, and, uh, but I, I left with those guys and, and, um, and we had no idea what we were doing. Like we were going to chase sponsorships, like Sitco, we want this much money, you know, Hoyt, we want this much money. I'm making these things up, mm. but, and these companies, you know, they came back to us and said, Hey, we love what you're doing, but they didn't want anything to do with a film. They wanted TV. They mm. wanted the 22 minutes of show, the commercials. The, basically, they wanted to purchase commercials that were going to live on the outdoor channel, right? Yeah. I had no interest in that whatsoever. So we kind of had to embark on this, you know, on our own. And um, and then we decided, we said, we'll make one film, The Rivers Divide. And then I said, we'll sell it. And if it sells, we'll make another film. And so it did. And we made Terra Nova. And then that sold. And then we made you know, the other side. And then Benelli actually commissioned us, which is blows my mind. Even if that was the only thing I did in my career, the winds of ADAC, it would be a huge success for me because I have this awesome gun company literally paying me well to go do a film for them. And not only that, but I earned the right for Benelli to sit there and say, you know, we'd have our board meetings and they said, Hey, will you go film this for us? And I said, I'll, what are the rules? And literally Benelli, a company that is usually stacked with rules is like, we just go to Alaska for three weeks. You go do what you do. Yeah. Use our new guns. Cause we want to introduce these three new guns to the, to our uh, customer base. Uh, but you go do what you do and, and we're good with it. And I was like, Holy, Holy man. Okay. I'm, this is rad. 
That's awesome. So, and then we did that. And then right now we're about to hire again. We've always had to rob Peter to pay Paul. So if we have a lot of client work, the true velocity or shields or uh, Mossberg or Benelli, if we have a lot of client work, um, are we, the films get tabled, Mm. right? So, um, it's just like, if you were writing copy for whomever, if you were Mm. writing copy for the United States air force or, um, the Navy SEALs, um, your books would have to, if, and they were paying you handsomely for it, your books would have to be on, on hold for a little bit. Um, and so that's kind of how it goes, but we're just now bringing on a second editor. Um, he hasn't passed the gauntlet yet, but I think he's going to make it through. And then if he does, (laughs) then we're going to focus on both films and our commercial work simultaneously. Cause we have, I mean, I could probably make five films right now without filming another second of footage. Oh, wow. Amazing. Yeah. Oh. At least five, probably. That's incredible. And how did ADAC come about then? Did, did they say, we want you to go somewhere and you're like, I've always wanted to go here or did, or how, how did that, or did they say, Hey, we want you to go to this place. And you're like, man, I've always wanted to go there. How did that, how did that work? So that's a great question. Um, both of those, uh, it was Lee, Lee Chose, the photographer that you met, the gentleman mm-hmm. with the white hair at the mm-hmm. hockey game. He was the one that selected us. This is really his doing. It's not that I earned the position of being there. He does a tremendous amount of work for Benelli uh, in the Beretta mm-hmm. group. So they came to him and said, we want to launch these three guns. What do you think? And he said, you guys need to hire Donnie Vincent and Sigmanta. They're the only ones that are going to do this justice. And so it was a, a bolt action platform their first ever in the lupo um chambered in 30 odd six and then they wanted to introduce a new weatherproof coating called the best coating on their super black eagle 3 mm. 12 gauge and then they wanted to introduce a 20 gauge in their um over under mm-hmm. platform the a i think it's called the au the something okay. like that um, but anyway so i needed to go to a place that had upland birds waterfowl and big game. Mm-hmm. And so Lee said, would you consider going to ADAC? And I said, yes, I've always wanted to go there because, um, Jim Shockey had filmed there and I'd seen just some fantastic imagery from there. Yeah. And so that we selected that as a, as the place to go. And it was, I mean, Jack, it was easily the most dangerous thing I've ever done. And I've done some, I nothing like you, but I've done some really dangerous things but this is the ocean there was it was so scary to be in at times between the currents the wind and uh just the tides and the waves like walls walls of water that had no organization whatsoever waves coming in every single direction literally your boat like the perfect storm like our boat is getting down this wave oh, and then all of a sudden the geez. next wave literally comes over the top of our boat and and i'm outside holding onto the pipe water is literally pouring down my raincoat down my pants filling my boots but i'm holding onto this pipe and our boat is just lifting woof and that oh. the captain who's amazing he's like hey donnie we very likely might roll wow total 360. So you need to like, if you let go, you're dead. I can't even turn the boat around to get you. All I can do is radio the coast guard and say, man overboard. I literally cannot get you. Wow. So, um, he's like, I really want you to come inside, but I didn't want to be inside. I didn't want to be in the cabin. I just, I wanted to have the fresh air. And, and, uh, it's funny cause I get seasick at times 
And I figured out the cure to seasick and it's the absolute fear. Cause when you are, <laughs> I was scared shitless. I wasn't scared shitless. I was hyper aware yeah. that really bad things could happen. So I was like, and then Kyle Nicklight, the director, he was right next to me. He was just holding on a couple of times. Like we're listening so bad. I'm grabbing him, <sighs> pulling him in the boat. I, he's doing the same to me. And, uh, it, it ADAC's just a wild place, man. It is wild. And the wildlife there, like the whales and the eagles and the salmon and the caribou, it was, um, it is a, and then the military base, right? You get to see this military installation. You're walking through, like there's still keys and locks. Wow. There's still the candy list is still in the movie theater. You still get to see, you know, Snickers, 65 cents and three musketeers. And yeah lists of films that they were playing and you get to see all the military stuff and it's just bonkers crazy that's insane it's crazy yeah it's crazy yeah you've had some adventures i mean <laughs> and, and, and that was the, the, at, at the outset when you're a kid tipping those books off the shelf for the first time the outdoor life um i mean adventure was like the driving force behind a lot of yeah. what you're doing and what you've done it, it, it had to be yeah God, so cool. Yeah. Uh, Super Black Eagle 3. Um, I, mean, I, I don't have one yet, but I'll get the 12 gauge and the 20. Like the 20 loads out yeah. now. I was talking to somebody about them down in uh, in Argentina, actually describing like the new 20 loads that are out there and just how different they are than stuff that was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, Devastating. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wild. So I'm going to I'm gonna get both of those, uh, those for sure. But uh, yeah, the Argentina trip was great. And my whole family was supposed to go. And just these things started happening. Uh-oh. Our yeah. middle child had, got, had to get casted because he had to have an operation on his legs and then was getting out of the cast oh. the day before. And my wife didn't know if he'd be able to walk. And so she was out and my daughter's in high school and she was uh, like, dad, do you want me to go to college? I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess. Um, and she's like, well, I, I, gotta, I gotta work and I gotta go to do this. I'm like, okay. And then our little guy, I was like, okay, buddy, it's you and me, you and me. And I grabbed the passport out and I opened it and I was like, oh, three oh, months no. left. I'm like, hmm. I seem to remember that you need some countries, you need like six months on there or a certain number of pages. Yeah. And so I looked up and it was six months. I'm like, golly. And this trip had already been put off for the last couple of years because of COVID. So, uh, so I went down there, uh, solo. Well, not solo. I had friends that were down there as well. Yeah. And how was it? Oh, what, what did you do? Beautiful. Red stag and fishing, um, fly you fishing. Did. Yeah. Yeah. Browns and rainbows. And then, uh, the red stag off the free range, Patagonia. It was just beautiful, yeah. incredible lodge. Did, did you hear them roaring? Yep. We were went they down. roaring for that you? Was yeah. the, uh, that was the, this time frame was, uh, they saved yeah. it the last three years and then COVID hit. And then even the next year, I think Argentina was too strict. I don't even know if they were letting anybody come in and out that were citizens for the next year something happened. Uh, so this was yeah. the first time that we could actually go and do it since the original trip yeah. was planned, but, uh, they blocked off the roar for us and, oh, it was amazing. I mean, it was just yeah. so cool to be in the middle. Of that. I couldn't believe it. I just took some, just some video, just of the sound, you know, with my yeah. iPhone, you know, I'm just yeah. going like this and to share with the family and stuff. And, it was amazing to hear them. I'm, they, yeah. This was definitely the height of the roar. I mean, I can't imagine them, yeah. you know, being any louder than, and you're just in the middle of it. It was just insane. So insane. When we were there, when we'd go out in the pitch black, you know, going out early in the morning yeah. and they'd be roaring. I mean, it was as though you're hiking in the hunt T-Rex. Yeah. Or, I mean, the, it, I, I just couldn't, I mean, 
it was happening every 30 seconds. And we just kept looking at one another. Like, I cannot believe the noise these animals are making. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. 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 Had a great, great hunt. Um, and then, uh, of course the food down there is amazing. And I've been down there on a dove hunt a few years back. Um, but, uh, so the meat and the wine and the whole thing, and it was really cool, but I'll be going back for sure with the family. Now they, yeah. they couldn't go this time. We'll, uh, we'll do it next year, the year after and bring, bring everybody down and make it a, uh, a family trip. Because a lot of these things yeah. like the hunting side of the house is that, uh, it's something I can do with the kids. We can do with my wife yeah. we can go together on these things and share these experiences. And, you know, for me, I don't, it, it's fine. I've done a lot of, a lot of, of things. I feel very fortunate, but to see the kids do it. And then for them to see, yeah. okay, this is how we're going to make use of this animal. And as you know, to relive it back here when we bring the meat home, but, uh, but yeah. really to see those other, like when we went to Africa, right. Uh, 2019 together and for them to see the trackers and just to see then how, like we Talent. think we use all the meat when we get like a white tail in Texas or something. Well, we see what they use in Africa, every single thing for them to see that and not just hear me tell them about it. It's different for them to be standing there and say, oh, we're going to do what with the stomach lining and this and what, how, what? Um, but them to see all that uh, take place mm-hmm. is, is really cool. I think, especially at this age. So it's not like a surprise later in life. It's like, no, this is part of their foundation is seeing these animals mm-hmm. used like this and seeing these other cultures and, and uh, mm-hmm. use the animals the way they are. So I, I love doing these things as a family. So some things though, maybe they'd rather not do. Like I went to Alaska this year. It was awesome. Uh, it, it moose hunt up there in the Wrangles. Um, and what a beautiful spot that Wrangles. Oh my gosh. I mean, we, that was incredible. We drove into, into, into Anchorage, dro- drove about five and a half hours the next day, maybe six, then flew in maybe 20 minutes then horses, you know, all the way. It was just such a yeah. cool experience yeah. and such a beautiful part of the world. And I just love love Alaska, but, uh, uh, but maybe, maybe my wife might, might not want to go on that one. Perhaps she, <laughs> she, she might like want to go, let's go to Lanai and do that, go after some access to yeah, out yeah. there, uh, out of the four seasons, maybe, um, but, but, uh, but I love sharing these experiences with the family. That's, uh, for me now, that is the, uh, the, the, I don't know, the most fulfilling part of it is seeing them yeah. learn these things. It's, re- it's really important, especially now. Like I, I've never paid attention to uh, the political landscape. I've never even really paid attention, unfortunately, and I'm embarrassed to admit this. I've never really paid attention to the military landscape in the United States. Like when I was when I was a child, because I was just I was like, we got the baddest dudes and we have the best planes and uh, everything's good because I just was, you know, and, and so I'm just seeing how people are individually and how they treat one another and how they respond to bad days. and and um, and I, you know, I basically lied to myself that we're, you know, we're the United States of America and, and we have farmers and we have hunters and we have iron workers and we have, uh, you know, doctors and lawyers and, and we have the best medicine. We have all, you know, the best badass uh, military guys. And then now for the first time in my life, it's not that I'm paying attention, but it's being crammed on my throat and forever I'm, I'm now I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I know it's a, it's a I don't know. rough time. And once again, I think about what it's like for the kids to be growing up now. And I'm trying to be very cognizant of what my wife and I talk about in the kitchen when the kids are around, even if they're watching a show or they're doing their homework, I know they're listening 
and they're processing oh, yeah. a lot more than yeah. than what we think they are. And uh, I try not to say things that are going to discourage them um, as they move forward or kind of extinguish any of that light that they have as far really as opportunity smart. and that sort of a thing. So, but it's tough because yeah. it is being crammed down our throats. You, it's hard yeah. to avoid it unless you go to ADAC or you go like, you know, for me into yeah. the wrangles for, for two weeks. And so I got to avoid it there. Um, but yeah. otherwise it is hard to avoid, even if you're like, Hey, I'm not going to look yeah. at my social media. I'm not posting anything today. I'm not going, don't need to go online for anything. Like still there's inputs, no matter what you get in your car, something pops up, something connects, or you walk into a store just to grab, you know, whatever, pay for gas or whatever. There's yeah. something on. It's yeah. like, it's so hard to, uh, to avoid yeah. it these days. And, yeah. uh, and of course they're yeah. all trying to elicit a response, uh, of some sort yep. from us for whatever purpose that might, that might be. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's tough, which is why getting back to the outdoors, get, putting your, your, your feet in the dirt, putting your hands in the dirt, smelling the dirt, uh, appreciating where the, your food comes from is so important today, more yeah. than almost more than ever. Uh, I think ever such yeah. a tough time. God, yeah. Such a tough time. Um, hey, I would you want to ask you who was, uh, who is the guy? Like, did you have a first draft of it? Was the rivers divide that someone read it and was like, uh, no, this isn't you. Isn't there something, was there something that you did at first Yeah, and you were trying yep, and, so and it was like a, one of those points in your life where you're like, ah, check. Like, like it just seemed like I've heard you talk about it before. And, uh, and then you switched and you're like, Roger that. And just like, I'm going to be me. Yep. And then obviously that yep. resonated with everyone. Um, you being, that's exactly you. correct. I, I wrote it how I thought people were going to want to see it. I wrote it how I was seeing other influences in media with hunting mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I handed it to, uh, it was on a little notebook and I handed it to, um, Kyle Nicolai, uh, our director and he read it and he's like, I've never heard you talk like this ever. And I said, well, yeah, but that's, I mean, I think this is what's going to sell. And he said, well, I don't care what's going to sell. Let's make it for you. Let's make it a real experience for you. And then who cares whether people buy it or not, but at least we made it for us. And, and then I said, well, I, you know, truth be told, I get pretty bummed when I kill an animal. Yeah. And he said, well, talk, talk about that. And I said, yeah, but I don't really see other people going through that same emotion. Like when I release an arrow, it's not that I'm apologetic, but I'm quite nearly apologetic. And I see people, I see people even doing this, like with, like when I hear guys talk about, um, killing a coyote mm-hmm. or something like that, I hear guys, or I hear guys talking about killing wolves and they talk about like, basically, you know, like you can't kill enough of them or whatever. And I just could never approach something along those lines. Like I could definitely kill a coyote. I can definitely kill a wolf and both need to be killed in certain instances in life and areas that they live. And, um, but I just told him, I said, Hey, there's a heaviness for me, um, in, in, in doing this. And so he said, that's, that's what you, that's how you need to write it. So I wrote it and, um, yeah. And, and, uh, that's, that's just, how it went. And, and, uh, I've had some people and it's not until recently, but I've had some people write me and say, Hey, you're way overselling this or you're way too dramatic or something along those lines. But 99.9% are, um, whether you are a good old country boy, um, simple guy or a Navy seal, like people have said, yes, I can appreciate um, how you've entered into hunting and the responses that you get when you've, um, been successful and, and also not been successful. Like I went home 
you know, many, many times. And that's one of the things I've, I've had lots of outfitters and guides and buddies of mine that I hunt with where they say, you know, Hey, you're in pretty good mood for, you know, we didn't get a moose or we didn't get a doll sheep. Like you're in a pretty good mood. And well, I didn't, I didn't come here just to kill an animal. And also I'm the type of guy that if I go on a, let's say a doll sheep caribou hunt and I kill my sheep and a caribou in the first five days, like I, I am sticking it out. I am there for the next 10 days. If I'm, if I'm allowed to be there the next 10 days, I am sticking it out because that, that last 10 days is just as much as before I killed the animal as after. Like I'm going to, we're going to eat food. We're going to hike. We're going to maybe scout for the next client. We're going to fly fish. We're going to look at the stars, maybe have a, a snort of whiskey and we're going to live like men. And that's what we're going to do. Man, I love it. Isn't it interesting though, that the, the 99, the 1% or less than 1% sticks out to you when you think about something <laughs> like you mentioned it and, yeah. you know, it does to me, to me too. And some authors, you know, don't read reviews. And, um, you know, for me, I do because I want to turn them into positives and use them as content. I read some negative reviews sometimes kind of, to you know, kind of to make fun of them or whatever, or turn them into positives. Cause what some people mm -hmm. hate about my books, they're, they're like too violent or too many guns or too much, uh, the exact, I don't need to know the exact caliber of X, Y, or Z, whatever that makes other people want to get the book. Um, oh, yeah. so, yeah. so I like to read them and turn them into positives because it's, you know, it's out there and uh, I can, you know, make use of it in a positive way. So I like to do, but it is interesting how, and you, you're very good at staying away from social media. Like you're, 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 for me, it's essentially the front. Like if I had a, a, a storefront uh, and people could walk by on main street and look into a glass window. Um, like that's what I use social, social media for like, okay, I'm going to put some things in there and then I'm going to use it to engage and thank people. Cause I'm so appreciative of people that allow me to do what I love, which is the, is the writing. But sometimes, and I try to thank everybody still, I try to get on before bed and I say, thank you, know, thank you. Or I give them the heart or whatever it is. Um, and, uh, but then there'll be one that sticks out and it, it's just, it's not, it, maybe it's, it's rude. It's just not thoughtful or it's mean, but it's the one out of 300, one out of a hundred, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. and it sticks in there for some reason, whatever that is in the human mm -hmm. condition that makes that uh, like a, a focal point. Uh, so I gotta get better at just, uh, taking a breath and, you know, like, I'm not going to change mm -hmm. what I do because someone doesn't like it. Um, that would be a horrible way to live. Right. I think, you know, I just gotta right. I'm gonna do what I do. And someone doesn't, some people will like it. Some people won't. And, that's okay. I'm going to keep moving yeah, forward. I mean, outside influences shape us, right? You might, um, you know, somebody might say something to you that will kind of steer you because if you, um, if you buy into what they're saying, if somebody says, Hey, Jack, like last night at dinner, um, you, you swore like three or four times and you didn't, and you didn't need to swear. And you like, didn't think of it. And you're like, Hey, I, yeah, I did. You know, the next time you have dinner, you might try to clean up your language or whatever, whatever it is. I'm making this up, but little things kind of steer us into who we are. But um, by and large, you have to remain, uh, in fact, who you are, right? And so I, I read a blurb. I don't know who the gentleman was, but he was a rock star, big mm -hmm. time. And he said he was leaving a concert. And um, he went on to his social media. And there was literally already, since leaving the concert, there was already like 10,000 comments. Mm -hmm. And he was, said he was in his limo. And um, he was just strolling through. He's like, and everyone's like, amazing, 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 amazing. And then like comment 3,512, the guy was like, worst concert I've ever been to. And he said, this gentleman was like, I disregarded the other 10,000 positive yes. comments. And I hung my hat on this guy's Ugh. comment, right? And, um, but I will say this, one time we left 
a super dangerous trip in the Chugach. Mm-hmm. We hunted sheep there in October. Yeah. There's ice and snow. Is, you know, again, I've never been in the military, so I can't speak to somebody shooting at me, but literally looking down and knowing that if my boot, I, I wear Hanbog boots. Yeah. Um, you sent me some. They're yeah, awesome. I so, love them. Oh, they're amazing. But I would literally look at my boot and I, and I think to myself, I hope the soul, like it's me, the soul and this rock and ice. And I only have like a quarter inch bite and I only have to go like 15 feet. But if I fall in the next 15 feet, I'm going to lose my life. Yeah. I'm going to fall over a grand. I'm going to fall into the rocks. And, um, Cameron Haynes, who's not a friend of mine, but we very casually know each other, but his, his good friend, Roy had fallen to his death in that area. Not, not long before I was there. And so I'm thinking about Cameron thinking about Roy and I'm, you know, and the sheep is right there. And so I'm, it, but when we got out, um, one of my guys had posted, we went around this cliff and I took a video of it. I, I was at the top of this mountain hiking in a snowstorm and I was going around this cliff. It's very, very steep. And uh, all of a sudden my phone buzzed in my pocket and I bring my phone along with me because I, so I can look at photos and like that. But I was like, what? No, why do I have service here? And I didn't even realize I didn't have my phone shut off. So I picked my phone out and I had basically like full service. So I took a video of the cliff or I took a video of the hill and um, I sent it to Kyle at home. And then he posted on Instagram. Well, I didn't, of course, like I shut my phone off right then. Yeah. And I, I didn't know that he had even received it or posted it until 14 days later. But one of the comments on there was, Donnie, I really like your work, but I can't believe all these people bind to your bullshit. I like, you're very good at creating a story, but all of this stuff is complete nonsense. Like you fake everything. You fake it very well, but you fake everything. And it didn't bother me at all. Like I was like, whatever, but my crew, right. These guys are carrying video cameras, hiking with me, crossing the cliffs with me, crossing the rivers, getting charged by bears, you know, oh, they were pissed. Like they didn't say anything, yeah. but they were like, we went to a place and had a beer and they were just like, this guy, he's got, you know, cause we work our tails off. As you know, you can't fake it. No. Like if you went on your moose hunt in the Wrangles this year and you said to the outfitter, like, you know what? <laughs> I paid my money. I'm here on vacation. You carry my stuff. The outfitter would be like, get out. Yeah. Like get out of the airplane, get off the horse. Start. I don't even care if you die, get out of here. Like, um, you can only do these things if you're willing to put in the work success, not success. If you do them, it doesn't matter. You'll get the respect of other uh, people in the area and hunters uh, because the, you have to do the work. You have to, you can't fake writing a book. Yeah. Got to do the work, anything in life. You know, that's the, I get asked all the time about the same thing. Like you get asked, how do I do what you do, Donnie? Um, I get asked the same thing about writing or how did you find your publisher? Or how do you do this sort of thing? And it's work. I mean, it's the second I get up till the second I go to bed, everybody else is asleep in the house. I'm still pushing it as hard as I can. Uh, I'm up and it's coffee and it's go, um, because I'm building this foundation, uh, might not be the healthiest thing right now. Um, and this is the year to make some of those changes, take a little breath. But, uh, as far as, you know, how, how focused I am on this one thing. Now it's time to, how can I have someone else do this merchandise? Okay, let's do that. Okay. So, so that's yeah, off the plate. Yeah. And my wife was doing it in our kitchen and our living room boxes everywhere, t-shirts and hats and all this stuff. And so that was one thing off our plate. Like someone else does that now. Okay. Yeah. Boom. That's one. What right. else can we do like that? So I can just focus yeah. on writing, which is what, what I, what I love, love to do, but it's 
putting in that work, but it doesn't matter if you're going to make an outdoor film or you're going to, or you're just going to go on a hunt, forget social media and a, a film. If you're just going to go on a hunt, it's work obviously yeah. to go and do that sort yeah. of a thing, to put in the time to be prepared to go take that animal's life and writing whatever it is in life. It's putting in the work because I know that yeah. if you don't, you won't get where you're going. I can't guarantee that even if you put in the work, you're going to get there, yeah. but I know yeah. that if you don't, you won't. Uh, so that's the that's constant right. is, is putting in, putting in that work. And, uh, you know, talking about Alaska, I want to ask you, so flourish more of a short, a short film that you guys did the ribs that you threw on the fire in that, like that looked amazing. And, uh, mm -hmm. I need to, you just, did you salt and pepper them? Or you just toss them on the, on like the coals and then just ripped them apart like savages and ate them. Like that looked so awesome. And I should have done that up in Alaska. Um, but, uh, that looks like a good way to go. I'm going to do that very soon. It's, it's a really good way because where we were, well, and Michael Easter was with us. Yeah. Have yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I had him on the, on the podcast. We were talking about you. I read the book because yeah. I didn't, I didn't put two and two together until I read the book. And then I opened that first page yeah. and there you are. And I'm like, what? No way. And then I remember yeah. you telling me about yeah, yeah. the, was it men's journal or whatever? And I, then I connected. Uh, yeah. Men's health. Men's health. Men's health. And yeah. uh, I was, then I, then I put it together. I was like, oh, this is the thing that Donnie told me about that time. And then I kind of put it all together, yeah. but I hadn't until I opened the book and read it. And there you are like page one and you're essentially part of this guy's story, um, that is, yeah, that is taking it, you know, that's taken off, but, uh, yeah, very cool. And that, so that was that trip. Okay. Now I'm connecting more. Yeah, of the dots. So he's the one in got Flourish it, eating them with okay, me. Okay. Got it. Got it. And so, you know, I didn't make him. I sometimes have wrongly said I made Michael kill a caribou, but I told him, Hey, if you're going to come along and write about this, I really do believe you should learn how to shoot a rifle. And he did. He went to a sniper in Las Vegas and um, some guy walked him through the mechanics of rifle shooting. And then I said, you need to come out and you need, I really think your book would be times 10 if you take an animal's life, good, bad, or indifferent. So he did. He's very uncomfortable with it. He was very angry the day he killed the caribou. He was angry at me. He was angry at himself. He didn't shoot the best, but he, he killed the caribou really quick, but he hit it. You know how shooting is obviously he, you know, he hit it back a little bit, then he hit it forward a little bit. And, the worse things got, the worse he settled in and, and but he, he smashed it and it happened in seconds. And, and, um, and when we walked up to the bowl, you know, I said, Hey, I said, why don't you just take some time and we'll go back and get our gear. And like, when I came back, I think he was tearing up. He was, like I said, he was, his answers were, um, short and, uh, boisterous. Like mm -hmm. he was mad. Mm -hmm. He was saying, I was like, Hey, how you doing? He's like, fine. You know, he'd say things like that sharp. And, uh, so I said, okay. So I said, Hey, I'm, I'll start breaking the animal down. You know, we took our photos and stuff and he got to spend time with the caribou's face and the eyes closed and the mane. And, you know, he saw the bullet holes in the blood. And so I said, let me start breaking it down for you. So I started breaking it down. And then when I had it broken down, I had the, the whole cape was laying out and then all the meat was laying out on the, on the hide of the animal. And um, he was standing there and he goes, um, hey, it looks like meat. I said, yeah, it is. It is meat. And he's like, yeah, but I mean, it looks like grocery store meat. Like it looks like meat. I said, yeah, yeah, that's, you know, it, the face isn't there right now. And so, um, so when we, in that area of Alaska, you have to cut the whole rib cage out and take the whole rib cage out. And so when we you obviously don't necessarily want to fly that out and then fly mm. it back. And, you know, and rib meat's not going to probably stay very good because it's so thin. Um, so we took it back to camp and then I slabbed, um, 
slab the back fat off of the caribou mm-hmm. above its haunches. The Eskimos taught me how to do this. Slab that off, put it in a frying pan in our teepee, and we rendered the back fat down into oil. Yeah. Okay. Then I just took the oil and slathered it all over the rib cage like you would olive oil or avocado yeah. oil or butter if you had it. Slathered it all over, laid it on willows, and then dumped salt and pepper all over it, like almost crusted it mm-hmm. because it was our last. It was our second to last day. So we could be gross about our usage of things. And then we built a willow fire and we just cooked them over. And so, and you know, we're all a little bit hungry or a lot. And so then we just literally, we had multiple, I mean, we were sleeping on these things, Jack. That's, we had our caribou carcasses in the teepee with us, literally sleeping on hindquarters. Um, And then we just took the ribs out and literally, and he's like, this is like, you hear him and flourish. He's like, that's, I think he says, you know, that's amazing or whatever. And, um, so he just totally, you know, and uh, now he's hunting. Yeah. And, um, uh, but it took, it took a little bit. Hey, cause we killed two caribou. We killed three caribou after he killed his. And I asked him after each one, like, I said, Hey man, how was that? And he's like, uh, that was uncomfortable to watch. Mm. That's what he said. He's like, there's, it was uncomfortable to watch that animal die. And I was like, I, there isn't even a sliver of me that disagrees, mm-hmm. right? I probably ride the line of not anti-hunter, but I probably ride the line of non-hunter and hunter, like, right. Like I'm not, not going to hunt, but you know, we're here for the ecosystems. We're here for mother earth. We really should, we really should be right. Um, I forget the quote, but Aldo Leibold has a quote that most humans feel like the land and the water belong to them. And so we grossly misuse them because we feel entitlement. And he's like, it's not until we realize that we are a part of that land and that water, you know, we're just great apes that are, that are living in this ecosystem. And until we realize that we're part of that land and that water, we're, we're going to, you know, we're going to burn it up. We're going to burn up its, its value. And, and so, uh, you know, we're pulling the wool over our eyes. If we think our jumbo jets and our cities are going to save us from, from the degradation of our soils and of our water and of our weather. So, um, it was fantastic to have Michael, um, on that trip. It, it got a lot. It was a lot for him. Hey, like I could see, um, and I actually, I actually accidentally read a text of his, uh, he used my inreach, my Uh Garmin inreach to text, to text his wife to say, Hey, we're coming out. And, um, and I accidentally, I, yeah, yeah. Hey, what can you do? He was like, thanks. He's like, thank God, like, this is our last day. Like, I'm cold. You know, I've been scared. I'm tired of being wet. I'm, you know, he's, and then we hiked out the last day. We all had 85 pounds on our back and we hiked, we had to hike 20 miles out. Oh, wow. And, um, and he did great. Wow. He did great. And, and we bumped into a couple of big bears and he was, you know, he kept his, kept his act together. And, um, but yeah, eating those ribs with him like that, that stuff is, a necessity. Hey, that, that like, and even like the blood on the hind quarters, mm-hmm. like you feel that cross that forms and you, you cut your hand, you cut your hand hold in, you're moving these quarters around. And even the, even the, um, chores of rotating them so that the wind gets both sides and mm-hmm. creates that cross and, and laying your, you know, you get out of the camp in the morning and the frost is hitting and you have all your hides laid out salted and you have, you know, there's a red, you're drinking coffee. There's a red fox in camp that literally is trying to fit 
every scrap of meat he can in his mouth or she to take back to her burrow and her pups while camp robbers are eating it and, and uh, ravens are eating it. And you just can't help but feel like, you know, this is, they don't have rifles. We have rifles and bows. And so, you know, to share with all these other animals that are kind of just sharing in the bounty as they would if a grizzly bear took a caribou down or a pack of wolves, it's just, <sighs> just fills you full. Man. Yeah. It's uh that's why I understand. Like, I don't really get into debates with anybody on social media. Plus it's not a good way to debate anyone on one sentence here back and forth like that. Yeah. Going. Um, so I don't, so yeah. I don't do it, but, uh, but also just in general in, in life, because I understand where anti quote unquote, anti hunters are coming from because they just, they're, I, it's coming from a good place. I think most of the time they're so disconnected from that, from the land and those animals, um, that, uh, that yeah. doesn't register that we're all, that we're connected to them and that they're here because of that land and those animals. And then they, you know, get into their, you know, Lexus or Tesla and their leather seat and, you know, go yeah. get the, get a burger or whatever else. Yeah. And it just doesn't register. Yeah. Um, and it's not their fault. It's just because of these comforts that we have that they're so disconnected. Um, so I, so it, I don't typically, you know, get into debates cause I understand that, Hey, it's coming from a, a good place. And if someone thinks I'm a horrible person mm-hmm. for going out and doing these things and putting food on the table and raising the kids the way we are, you know, okay, fine. Yeah. Okay. Um, but, uh, but I don't really going to take a few hours and, you know, it's each and every single person. So I just try to, you know, be a, just be me and share that journey with people. Yeah. And if they, if they take an interest yeah. and they're like, wait a second, that, how did, how did that steak get here that we just ate last night? It was yeah. delicious, but where did mm-hmm. it come from? Oh, it came mm-hmm. from X, Y, or Z. Oh, interesting. How was it raised? Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. Well, and who are these guys that are going out after, after elk? They, they seem pretty passionate about it. And interesting. And anyway, make the connection kind of that yeah. way, just naturally. Even, even if you want to eat a soy burger, massive impact on the earth. I don't care what it is you're doing. I don't care if you're on a whale watch. Okay. So this vessel over here is whaling. You're on a whale watch where you're both burning diesel fuel. There's human impact. It just, we can't go through life without a footprint. And it just so happens that we are as human beings, we're, we're, we're the greatest good and the greatest bad. We Mm -hmm. we're capable of fantastic things in both, in in both directions. Right. yeah. Do the best we can. I, I I tend to lean towards people. Or most people are trying to do the best they they can, and I'm you know I'm I'm I hope I'm trying. To, I mean I know I'm trying to do the best I can. But uh, uh, you know what? When you're talking about when, when you're talking about eating those ribs, man, I had the heart. I had like the whole heart of that moose up there this year, and oh. it was so good. We sliced it super thin and uh, just salt pepper frying pan. It mm-hmm. was awesome. Super rich. Uh, so mm-hmm. I had it over a couple, couple but of days, incredible, incredible, yeah. incredible and yeah. huge, you know, for some reason, I don't remember it for my, my, uh, uh, first moose on it for whatever it didn't register as much, but the size, maybe this whole thing was, was bigger maybe, but that, that heart was so big and it was so huge. good. Yeah. We ate that whole thing, just sliced it super mm-hmm. thin and once it salt pepper, just like a little butter. We, we, so we good. do it with, um, we do like a basalmic reduction oh, nice. of the heart. Like when we shoot whitetails, like mm-hmm. not in Alaska, but when we shoot whitetails, we'll slice a bunch of them up with white onions and we'll do a basalmic reduction into where it just kind of caramelizes the vinegar in and around the heart with salt and pepper. And Nice. Oh, man. Good, oh, but yeah. Oh, so good. So good. I can't wait to get back. I just love, love Alaska. I want to get back to Kodiak. We trained there in the military. I've uh, been there a couple of times, mm-hmm. but I want to get put some time on the ground there, take the kids there. Um, God, I love, just love getting into up to Alaska how, and Canada. How was training there? Oh, beautiful. I mean, for me, I'm just like, 
this is my environment. I, I just love it. Cause I mean, obviously you have yeah. the, the ocean there. So you, it's a, so unforgiving with salt water and then rocks and then moving up sometimes, uh, uh, well through some really thick bush and then into ice on a glacier and then up and down the other side. So you're dealing with all these different environments that are inhospitable. And, uh, and then you're putting in the military side of the house, like trying to make comms in these different environments, uh, keeping your weapon working, that sort of thing, swimming in over the beach to get there over the beach, meaning you know, over the rocks, essentially, yeah. um, tra- transitioning yeah. out of that dry suit, uh, while you're holding 50, 50 security. So that some guys are changing out, getting the dry suit, putting that on their back with their fins. And of course you have your weapons, your ammo, your radio, which, for some reason, the radios are still just the same size as they were in World War II. I think it has to do, <laughs> they do a lot more. They do a lot more, but like yeah. the size, I think it's because somebody has the battery contract. Uh, and so it has to have these two fifty five ninety batteries. And so that just lends itself to these heavy radios. And like I said, they do a lot more, but they're heavy. Uh, and then all that stuff. Yeah. And then off you go patrolling and then you set up your camp and do your whole, your whole thing. Yeah. Um, but I love that place. Gosh, it's just so beautiful. Up oh, there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's literal paradise. It is. It is. I can't wait to, yeah. can't wait to go back. And I love going into town at the end and going to the bar, having a drink, going to a uh, Kodiak brewing company, yeah. uh, out there. I don't know yep. if it's an actual bar yet. They used to have some weird hours because they, uh, uh, no, the, tasting it, thing. It, it's still the same. <laughs> a tasting yeah, still thing? the same. You can go in there and you get the little <laughs> yeah. tasting things. And, and it was funny because every time I've been in there, it's all sealed. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like, yeah, surprisingly, there's never a fight in here. Even though everyone's having a beer, there's literally never a fight in here. It's weird. Yeah. Everyone's either a SEAL or a PJ yeah, yeah. in that bar. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, it's, and if you're yeah. enjoying the Coast Guard, like what a place to be stationed. If you're like a hunter, fisherman, outdoorsman, uh, and up there, those are the heroes. Like the Coast Guard guys out there, the rescue swimmers that are going out after fishermen. And, you know, oh my gosh, like those guys Big put time. it all on the line in these crazy storms. Um, but if you're a, an outdoorsman and you live up there at as some sort of a rescue swimmer or a pilot for the, uh, for the coast guard. Like, wow, what a place to be stationed. I mean, so cool. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, you're winning at life. Yeah. And if you're not, if you're more of like a, yeah. I don't know, warm weather beach person and you get, <laughs> don't get Miami and you get, uh, get Kodiak, maybe things didn't work out for you in the coast guard, but, uh, you can go to some pretty cool, <laughs> some pretty cool places. And, uh, Ben, I want to be yeah. respectful of your time. I wanted to ask you about a bunch of different things, but, um, we got to meet yep. up in person. We almost went hunting together. I don't even know if, if we talked about this at Nordic's place in Tennessee, Turkey, like four oh, yeah. years ago That's right. and something, uh, That's right. something came up for me. I had something, I forget what it was, but, uh, but what a yep. cool place that is. That's a beautiful spot. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What a place to yeah. hunt turkeys. Incredible. Yeah. I've hunted there a few times with Ed yeah, yeah. Byer uh-huh. great guy. Uh, and, uh, Jeff Samuel. Yeah. yeah great guy. And, uh, Damien yeah. and a, a few other yep. seals. Yeah. It's a, I've, that was actually my first, um, I went there with Kyle Nicklight. And we were going in to hunt with a bunch of seals. We got invited from Nordic and the NRA and Kyle's like, what do we do with these seals? Like, what do you, how do you, what do you, what do you, how do you talk to them? And I was like, no idea. Never been around one. But I think we just talked to them. You know, I was like, that's hilarious. And, uh, yeah, the conversation. I started forming some really good, like I'm still texting and calling and, and, uh, messaging with everyone that I met there. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll have to go for sure, man. And, and what we can do, you know, as many podcasts as you have time for and need to, I'm, I'm happy to, wow. 
to do them and, and to answer any questions that you have, of course. Oh, thank you. I think they will hold off. I was going to ask you about predator hunting because that's a new thing for, for me, semi-new mm-hmm. thing for me, I guess. Um, but I was drawn to it. I've been drawn to it since I was a little kid. Absolutely. And you, know, you can't yep. really explain it. And then uh, after bears over the last few years, mountain lion here in Utah, um, and seeing how they do that and the questions that I asked at a guide down there, and I was shocked at how many had to come out. Like I thought, I'm like, how many comes out of this area as we're driving and just checking out the terrain and everything for for mountain lion in particular? And I thought he was going to say two or three, and it was a lot more than that uh, in this one area. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe. I mean, it's uh, you know. And it's all biology and it's elk and it's the cattle and it's the mm-hmm. people and, you know, all those, all those things. Um, but I couldn't believe how many had to come out of that. I read stories about California. They're really course, successful. And, yeah, yeah. It's perfect terrain. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. What a, what a great, great spot. And then of course I've read mm-hmm. all about California and how many they really take out, although they don't publicize it because they hire someone to come in mm-hmm. and do it semi quietly. Um, but, uh, that management, I couldn't believe how many had to come out of there. Um, yeah. I was drawn to it. And it was, I know you, you had, you yeah. wrote, uh, uh, and your writing is amazing. I was going to ask you also, are you going to write a book at some point or is that in your, in your future? Do you have all these stories? I, that, like, I, if um, you just took your Instagram and then you're not on very, very often, but everything you post is so yeah. thoughtful and the pictures are so beautiful. You could just take that and just like turn that thing into a book, you know, cause they, the, I, great. I, I kind of feel I'm intimidated by the idea of writing a book. Um, but Michael Easter, when we were on, um, on that trip, he's like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll help you if you want. And the comfort crisis was his first book. He's working on a second one now. And it's something that I was going to, um, talk to you about as well. And I have no interest in writing a fictional book, but, um, writing about the things that I've seen or have done. Like I, I, uh, yeah, I, I just, again, it comes down to kind of that confidence thing of, of like, why, you know, who would read this and, you know, why would they want to read this? My, 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 my father said to me one time, this is years ago, but I said, yeah, I, I said, dad, um, somebody from discovery asked me, they said, Hey, um, they'd like, if I wrote a book and he was like, who wants to read the stories of a punk kid? <laughs> and I was like, that's what he said to me. And I was like, uh, but it was just kind of funny. I was like, yeah, you're probably no. right. But, um, but yes, I, I have thought about it. I've thought about it because, um, like I, I just enjoy the process and writing even for Instagram. Um, and I call it for Instagram. But even writing for those little things, like it's, I'm all in. Like I write, oh, yeah. like there's, I, we edit them, like I edit them, but I'm literally writing this down and, and I can't even tell you how many things I've written. And, you know, Kyle's like, this is really good, but I'm, you know, it's just, yeah, he'll be like, I don't know where you, you went down another road over here. And he's like, I don't know, because I, oftentimes when I send him script to go with a photo, he's like, yeah, this is twice as long as it can be. So you have to like, we have to like shorten this up and, and, um, but I, yeah, I, I thought about it and I thought about all the imagery, um, that we have. And, um, cause I have such awesome photographers that come along and we get, you know, it's just, everything catches our eye. Yeah. When I mean, you have all the elements, so the elements are all there. They exist. Yeah. Like you're a, yeah. you're a fantastic writer. You have the imagery. Um, you have multiple themes you could explore. Uh, there's so many different avenues that you could go down here and, uh, and, and think about as, as you start to kind of whittle down what you want to, um, what you want to kind of get out there and, uh, what you want to explore, mm-hmm. uh, what you want to express. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I think it'd be amazing. And I'm trying to get our films on, um, I'm trying to get our films on Netflix as well. Nice. Awesome. 
trying. Yeah, trying. they should be. I don't know why yeah. they aren't on what, what, yeah. Yeah. It just, it's difficult to do. It's uh, so I'm, I'm working with, um, I used to be uh, represented by WME, William Morris Endeavor. Mm-hmm. They used to be my agents a few years ago and they were trying to get me to do some stuff on discovery and it just, we, we couldn't find a, a show that worked for both my, me and what discovery wanted. Um, but I'm hoping that those guys will be able to help me facilitate. Cause I just think I want to start making all of my content. We sell all of our films right now and I want to make them all free. It's something that I want to move mm-hmm. towards here in the short order. And, and so, you know, writing a book, getting the films on Netflix for free. Like I just want to get a little bit more of this storytelling out there for people to um, digest. Yeah. So no, that's interesting. So when you sell one of these films, you make it, you sell like who buys it is like a distribution company buys it and then puts it on to uh, uploads it to whatever platform people can buy it or the, to the DVDs or however that, that works. Is that, is that who you're selling it, selling it to, or kind of like we've been selling it and I feel really fortunate, but we've just been selling it mostly uh, up until recently. We've been selling it mostly on um, from Donnyvinson.com. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I know where. And then, and then we, yeah. Yeah. So then people, so they'd either, and we've averaged, um, every year since we started, we've averaged selling our films in over 80 countries. Oh, so that's what you mean by selling um, it. You're selling it yourself. I'm selling it myself. Got it. Okay. Because exactly. when you said that earlier, I was, like, I was like, I think it's on yeah. his website. Like who is someone buying? What do they bring yeah. to the table if they're, if he's selling it to someone? I didn't realize. Okay. Got yeah. it. Okay. Now I yeah. understand. So, but I don't want to sell them anymore. I want them to be free because I want more people to see them. And I, like, like I said, I'd really love to get them on Netflix to where like kids at home. Yeah. Like I've caught a couple of, I've caught a couple or excuse me, buddies of mine who aren't hunters have caught their kids watching my films nice. on the stuff that's free on YouTube yeah. and stuff. And, you know, and, um, it's just kind of cool. And what my one buddy, his son, he's now super interested in wilderness survival. Nice. He's interested in, um, whenever I come home from filming with true velocity, he always wants to, like he wants to ask me questions about the Navy SEALs and about the Green Berets and the Delta guys. And um, it's just cool. It's cool that I just want young men and women to be able to be exposed to the things that we have filmed. And I don't know if Netflix would ever go for it, but you know, um, Steve Brunella's show is on there and I just, you know, I, anyway, but writing books, articles, whatever, like I just feel like I need to produce more. But as I pointed out to you in the beginning of our conversation, I want to, you know, if I hit my number, I want to, I want to disappear. And, and, um, but I, I say that, but also I'd say one of my favorite things in the world to do is to take new people hunting, mm-hmm. right. To, if I could take people that didn't think that the people that don't think that they can go to Alaska and backpack in and kill a moose and kill a caribou and cut it up themselves and backpack it back out to an airstrip. Mm-hmm. I would love to take those people every year and just to say like, yeah, nope, you're going to do this. We're going to pack in there. Don't worry about the pack of wolves. Don't worry about the grizzly bears. We'll deal with them when we come face to face. We're going to hunt. We're going to harvest, kill. And, you know, it just would be cool to experience that with people for, um, for the first time. Yeah, no, that is. And then you got to do that and have Michael Easter capture it the way he did in his book was, uh, the comfort crisis is, uh, was really, was really cool. Um, and once again, now you have somebody who's going to be more self-reliant going forward. They're going to influence their circle, uh, however big or small that is, whether it's just family members or a couple friends or social media circles or whatever it might be, um, through all of that. But I think a, a book would be so amazing. And there's so many things you could, you could do with that. Um, I think it's about, 
kind of narrowing down the theme really. Cause you could, you do, you could explore so many different things and um, it could be about the films or it could be about your life or it could be about one adventure in particular. Um, you know, there's so many different avenues uh, and so many different things you could explore. Uh, but the good news is you've had the experiences uh, you're an amazing writer. And also with, uh, with all these Thank things, you. you don't have to worry about a word count. You don't have to worry about 2,200 characters on Instagram. Like, Feel free yeah. to just write. And then yeah. later you can just yeah, yeah. whittle it down a little bit or, oh, that went off on a tangent there. We'll just, you know, do this, edit this out, or maybe that fits better at the end. Like, yeah, you can copy and paste that thing around, but you can have a great time mm -hmm. just going, you know, not being, mm -hmm. there's no, there's no limits. There's no left and right limits. You can just mm -hmm. explore whatever you want to explore, explore those feelings and emotions behind the hunt or whatever you, whatever you feel like exploring. But the best part is you've had the experiences, great writer. You have the, you have the video, you have the, the, uh, the, the stills and, uh, you can really do whatever you want. So I hope you do. I hope you think about it. I know you're crazy busy and you have content for like five or six different films uh, already. But um, uh, do you know in your mind, like if the agency type work that you're doing for other companies, um, uh, like when you have a break from that, do you know the project, do you know the next film right now or is it yep. you? I, I know the two next films that we'll work on. One is um, a desert sheep hunt that we did on Tiburon. Wow. Um, with a friend of mine, Lu Luis Romero, it just filmed really beautifully. His father was a lifelong hunter. Um, and he, um, he let me use his dad's Belgium made Browning that he bought in, I think 1950. So he let me use his dad's gun and his dad had just recently passed away. And so I used his dad's gun on the hunt and, and, uh, and we filmed the whole thing. It, it was beautiful. So I'd like to put that together as a festival length film. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after that, uh, so like 15, 20 minutes, something along those lines, maybe 30 minutes. And then after that, uh, we have filmed in Australia for multiple years oh, wow. and we were able to capture some really, really sick wildlife footage and, and, um, and a really cool hunt that we did with a dear, dear friend of mine named Nick Joyce, an Australian, mm -hmm. where we we're, uh, bow hunting Asiatic water buffalo and wild pigs nice. in the Northern territories. And, um, when I want to go back and film with Nick. And, uh, we have some really amazing footage, uh, such amazing wildlife footage from that trip that some of the, uh, Australian biologists that have seen some of this footage have reached out to me and, and said, Hey, some of the things you filmed, we've never even heard of, let alone seen. And so can you tell us exactly where you film them, when you film them and what was kind of going on? And so I've, I've, uh, uh, talked to all these dingo biologists and Buffalo biologists and all these guys. And so that would be a really cool project. But, and then believe it or not, the very first film from the doll sheet that I showed you when we uh -huh. started talking. So we filmed that whole thing in Toke and it filmed really, really well. And we've never, ever released it. And, um, Jack, have you seen the other side yeah. of the film that we did on bear? Hunting? Yeah. I was going to ask you about the bears on my so list of things I, to ask you about specifically bears, because I was, I've been so drawn to it. So I'm a little kid going on fake bear hunts with my grandmother in the backyard. And then now to finally have, yeah. uh, have been on a couple, um, in, in Kamchatka and in, in, uh, in Alaska, but I was going to ask you about, about that too, but um, yeah, amazing. God, crazy. So I want to do some more layered films to where like, you know, we have filmed, one, two, we filmed probably five or six doll sheep hunts. Um, some we've been successful on, some we haven't. But I would love to talk about, do a film about either sheep hunting or doll sheep hunting or the North Country or even um, something about even guides and outfitters and just like layering this in because we have all this footage from these different 
campaigns that I just think would be really cool to kind of sliver together like the other side and and um, make something for the sheep hunter, make make something for the the mountain hunter that can they can appreciate and and watch and dive into. And so just all these different projects I want to work on. And there was a deer a few years ago that um, I hunted for four. I hunted a deer for four falls and we filmed the whole thing. And I finally, um, I started hunting him when he was six and a half and I killed him four falls later when he was nine and a half. And so I have that piece filmed and, and things like that. So amazing gosh so much going on and yeah. uh yeah and for yeah. people that that uh haven't watched your movies yet um i recommend for sure getting them doesn't matter where you start because they're all incredible uh maybe who we are for people that are like oh, i'm gonna check this out mm-hmm. like great one with four and a half, four we and are half. Flourish. Yeah, both those for sure like what is uh, who we are is like four and a half minutes something like that five minutes maybe mm-hmm. somewhere in there um and then once you do that you'll be you'll go for the, get everything. Um, because, cause it'll just draw you in. It's, uh, so, so captivating and it's so inspiring to get people outside and connected with the earth again. It's just, uh, just so cool. So I love what you're doing. Love everything that you have going on. I'm a huge admirer. Once again, huge inspiration for, for me and tons of other people you'll never even hear about. Um, and that's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and you used to show them also in movie theaters, like for an opening night. Oh yeah. Many, many times. That's something that I want to get back to because every, um, almost every theater, every theater that I've ever been to myself with the film has been sold out. So to walk in there and see all the seats full and to get up in front of the room and actually talk um, and to, and meeting people and then meeting, talking to them after the film. And, and, um, and I've released some films at film festivals that weren't hunting. And so I've had people get up and leave like during the film, but I've also had other people. Um, I played one, one time at a film festival that was an art film festival in South Dakota and an um, elderly woman in front of me recognized that I was the guy from the film. And when the lights came on, she kind of turned around she looked at me and she just was like, she looked at me and she said, wow, wow. She said, I'm, she said, I've never hunted a day in my life, never wanted to hunt a day in my life. She said, but that was incredibly moving. And, uh, that was, you know, I had goosebumps listening to her say that, you know, and, and, um, so all that stuff, like, I love the theater stuff. I would definitely, there will definitely be more theaters, um, as we come out with new works. And I would even, you know, kind of like not, not to put myself in that same category, but even along the lines of like Fred bear, Mm -hmm. when he used to rent theaters out across the country, like I would totally do that. I would 100% create my own theater tour and go around and, and play these things in, in major theaters or around the country. I'd be, that would be thrilling to do. Yeah. It's just a different experience being there with other, other people. And then having that sound, obviously in that big screen, um, it's just a, a different experience and watching it on your phone. Like don't watch these things on your phone, like watch them on a, watch them as big a screen as you can get. Cause they're that, they're that good. Uh, they deserve it. You know, they, uh, they, they deserve it. I so, appreciate that. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Well, I'm gonna let you go. Cause I know you gotta be up at four in the morning, uh, working out, <laughs> shooting your bow, reading, contemplating life, you know, having a full day before most of us are, are out of bed. Um, and, uh, uh, man, I got to get after that again, too. I don't think it's going to be quite so early, but maybe after kid drop off at school, uh, get on the Sornex, mm-hmm. get on the bow, and uh, it's it's time. It's definitely time. Before you start working, do like 12 burpees and then start writing. No, I need to do it. Or 
Or if you hit a roadblock, do burpees. Uh, that's a problem. There's no, I don't have time for roadblocks. I just got to go right through, over, around, <laughs> got to breach them. Bulldozer. Yeah, got to do it. You know, there's just so much, right. so much going on. Yeah. But I, I mentioned that to my wife actually about, uh, you know, you getting up at four, Jocko getting up at 3.30, um, that sort of a thing. And she's like, you're not even in bed yet at 3.30 most of the time. Like, like, <laughs> so, okay, that's, okay, well, that's, I'm in bed by 10 o'clock at the latest most nights. So yeah, okay, that's, uh, yeah. That's when a lot of my everybody day starts because that's when I know everybody else is going to bed. And so finally there's, you know, yeah. I have a little quiet time, but uh, eventually I'll, I'll figure out, uh, you know, a better <laughs> schedule, a more sane schedule going forward. That's important to me this year. That's awesome. <laughs> that is really awful. I appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Thank you so yeah. much. And um, anything you need, let's, uh, let's link oh, up. Thanks brother. Appreciate everything. You take care out there and hopefully I'll see you soon. The home buying experience can be a daunting one. Navy Federal Credit Union is here to help military members and their families tackle home ownership. They offer mortgage options with zero down payment, so you don't need to wait years to save. They offer mortgage options that don't require private mortgage insurance, so you'll save money each and every month. Members save $2,500 on average when they choose Navy Federal for their mortgage. With resources like Realty Plus, you can get an experienced real estate agent and Navy Federal is a top VA home lender. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. Insured by NCUA, an equal housing lender. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one in the Amazon series adaptation of the terminal list. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee. Keep crushing. Thank you so much to Six Hour for jumping right on board out of the gate to make this podcast possible. Obviously, I am a huge SIG fan, having carried the P226 on every deployment downrange in the SEAL teams. Uh, but SIG was a supporter. They were friends well before uh, I was a New York Times bestselling author, uh, well before I even had an Instagram account or any social media presence whatsoever. So thank you guys all so much. Uh, Ron, Tom, Jason, everybody at SIG who gets up every day and continues to crush it and lead the way. SIG is always adapting. They're always at the forefront, whether it is firearms for citizens, whether it's firearms for our military, ammo, suppressors, optics, training, fire control units. They are doing it all and they are always pushing pushing that envelope and trying to do it better each and every day through innovation and adaptation they crush. So thank you so much for that friendship and support. Uh, it will never be forgotten. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. Just had a great conversation with Donnie Vincent, and we talked about my fall trip to Alaska after moose. So I thought it would be appropriate to talk about the rifle that I took with me. And that's this 300 Win Mag from Rifles Inc. And it's a Swarovski optic right there. It's a Z6i 3-18 ballistic turret and tally scope rings right here. And I really like 
a light rifle. Um, but you don't need something like this to go out there and get it done. It's really about choosing that, that rifle, those scope rings, that optic, that ammo, and then training with that so that you know your capabilities and your limitations with your chosen system. And then it's about going out there, getting it done. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Donnie Vincent, go to DonnieVincent.com and definitely check out his films. Watch him on the biggest screen that you possibly can. Go to Donnie underscore Vincent on Instagram. And there's a Facebook out there as well. And I hope you do check out those films because they are visually fascinating, great storytelling. And uh, as you can tell, I'm a fan. You can follow me at Jack Carr USA on the social channels. Officialjackcar.com is the website, jackcarusa.com for the merch. And if you like that conversation, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Till the next time, thank you so much for joining me. Take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original, Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What box do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy and, or right, right. An How, uh, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm-hmm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.